you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Well, good morning, Movement Church. Come on, let's try it again. Good morning. Man, you picked the right Sunday to come to church. Turn to somebody on your right or left and tell them they're awesome. Woo, I can tell y'all definitely want to talk to your neighbors today. Man, my name is Carrie. My wife and I are some of the pastors here at the Movement Church. My wife was just up here a moment ago, and uh, we're just so glad that you're with us. In fact, I'm just honored that you would hang out with us at church. You could be doing a lot of things right now. You could be at the beach. You could be at brunch, but you're here, and man, we're just so glad that you are. I think God wants to do something kind of unique in our life. In fact, I, I just made a decision a long time ago that every time, every time I show up to church, I'm going to show up with expectation. I'm going to show up hoping that God's going to do something profoundly miraculous. And I'll tell you why. I believe we have enough mundane and mediocre in our life to last a lifetime. So why not come to church for an hour and 10 to 15 minutes and say, okay, God, today I'm going to give you a chance to blow my mind, to exceed my expectation. And I think he just has this profoundly unique way of doing just that. If you're with us for the first time, I want to say thanks again for hanging out. And maybe you're here and you're not sure what it is that you believe. I want to go ahead and give you permission up front to belong before you believe. We're in the middle of a series called Freeway. And this is quite an exciting series. But before I tell you about that, I know my wife shared a little bit about our students who are on the road right now to summer camp. In fact, many of the the pastors that are here, as soon as we're done tearing down, we're going to load up some U-Haul vans and drive up and join them. It's going to be great. But one thing I'm I'm super stoked about is August 13th. We have something coming up called Summer Blast. Everybody say Summer Blast. It is going to be absolutely amazing. After the second service, We have all kinds of amazingness taking place directly outside. And I need you to help me out. Everybody say churros. No, no, say churros. Yeah, there it is. We have a churro man coming. It's going to be amazing. We've got a Kona ice truck that's going to show up. More inflatables than you're going to know what to do with. The fire department's going to let a fire uh, truck be here so that the kids can hang out and check it out. We've got a dunking booth. We're throwing Pastor Joe and Pastor Katie in there and probably my wife as well. So you can line up. It's going to be amazing. I will not be in the dunk tank, but no, it's going to be awesome. But it's, it's designed for children of all ages so you don't want to miss out if you've got friends that have kids invite them if you are a big kid at heart make sure you show up it's going to be a lot of fun and i'm going to tell you right now it's a great way and a great place to invite your friends to be a part little party afterwards we're going to have a great time and i'm expecting that god's going to do something unique is that cool how many of you are enjoying this series so far? You guys digging it? Man, listen, we're in this series. Thanks, Megan. I'm so glad my wife is on the front row to encourage me because all of y'all looked away at me. But listen, we're in the middle of this series and we're following through this workbook in our small groups during the week. And I mean, I don't know about you, it's been a life transforming journey for me and the group of guys that I'm going through this book with right now. And, and we're kind of taking this journey on what God has for us because I believe that God didn't send Jesus to die that we could live life bound by slavery to our hurts, habits, and hang-ups, but man, Jesus came that we can know life the free way. 
How many of you in this room have ever done like a home improvement project? You ever done a fixer-upper around your house? Maybe you painted a wall or you, you built something or you got this great idea. Like, man, this is going to be unbelievable. There's three things you've got to know about home improvement projects. Number one, it's always more painful than you thought, especially if you're living in your house. You told your wife, it's only going to take four hours, babe. And four weeks later, there's still sawdust and just disaster everywhere and Listen, the other truth about home improvement projects is it always takes longer than you think. Always takes longer than you think. It's, it's a little more painful than you were hoping for. It always takes longer than you think. And here's the, the bigger truth about a home improvement project. There's definitely a conspiracy between Home Depot and Lowe's because the tool that you will need to complete your home improvement project, you will not own, nor will any of your neighbors. It's like when you need a Phillips head screwdriver, all you can find is a flathead screwdriver. And when you need a flathead screwdriver, they don't exist in your home. It is a, it's the devil, I'm telling you right now. You never have the tools that you need. And I want to just tell you, and God created us so that we can live life experiencing freedom. Not bound by the issues and the challenges that we face on a day-to-day -day basis. Listen, all of us have issues. And if you think that you don't have issues, that, my friend, is your issue. But when it comes to working through those things on the inside, you just need to know it's going to be a little bit more painful than you might expect. Even for me in this journey, I've really had to be very introspective. And it's been very challenging and very vulnerable with this group of guys as we just kind of get real with each other. Some of you might be taking baby steps. Others of you pulled a Miley Cyrus and came in like a wrecking ball. But the other truth is that it's going to take more time. This is a journey. This isn't a decision. This isn't a moment. This isn't a prayer. This is a journey. It's going to take more time than you thought. And I'm going to give you one last truth about discovering life the freeway. You need to know that you don't have what you need. You don't. If you did, then you would have had this thing figured out already. But here's the hope. Jesus does. And he's designed this life that we can live it, the freeway. We're talking about these six steps to the goal, which is freedom. Week one, we talked about awareness and how we've got to kind of remove the blind spots, which means we need people to help us see what the real issues may be. Step two is discovery, where we really begin to understand and discover patterns in our life that we need to change. And step three, which was last week, Megan unpacked it. It was an amazing message. If you didn't hear it, get the podcast, because here's the truth, that the, the, the step of ownership is really kind of the, the, the crux. It's the main component that, that changes everything, because we've got to stop blaming God and people and circumstance for the circumstances we're experiencing and actually take ownership and this is challenging because you might have been through something that you were wronged and treated poorly and it is not your fault it's not your fault at all but it is your responsibility on how it affects you we're on our journey to freedom and today we're on step four and you need to know that the path to freedom must go through the doors of forgiveness. And the title of my message today is Holding On Keeps Us From Moving On. We're going to unpack this whole concept of freedom. But before I dive in, just a few moments left in what we would refer to as an intro to my message. I'm going to pray in just a minute. And I, I would just ask that you maybe mix your faith with mine as I pray. And just say, God, would you open my heart? 
to what it is you want to do in my life. I love the song that we closed worship with today. I am yours. You know what that is? It's a prayer of surrender. It just means I'm just giving you permission, God, to do what you want to do. And I think for the next 32 minutes, that's the greatest decision that you and I could make. I don't know what you came in with. I don't know what challenges you walked through the doors with, but I know that God has great hope and freedom for all of us, but we gotta be open to it. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray? God, I just thank you that you're here. I thank you that you're moving in our hearts and our lives. And God, this is a challenging topic as we navigate through forgiveness, what that means and what that looks like. So I pray, God, right now that you would open our hearts and ears to receive and hear what it is that you want to say and what you want to do, that we can experience forgiveness as we work towards freedom. So we give you permission to rearrange the furniture of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Amen just means I agree. You know, we, we've been working through this workbook, and as I was kind of studying through it on my own, it's, it's a great workbook that really kind of triggers both the intellectual side and the creative side, but it, it really also forces you to be introspective and discover what it is that God might be trying to do in our life. And I was reading through this, and there's one page that jumped out, especially when it comes to forgiveness, because I believe that many of us walk through tragedy and, and, and triumph, and I think we walk through scenarios where people may hurt us or violate us or do something to us that we're not sure exactly what to do with. And we're always left with the question of why. And the writer here, he alludes to this in, in, in page 135, and he says, we hunt and chase the most elusive question known to hurting hearts, the why. Why did this happen? Maybe you've asked that question, why did this happen to me? I don't understand, I'm trying to be a good person, I'm trying to do things right, why did this happen to me? Or maybe some of you walked through serious tragedy and the question is why did God take him or her so soon? Or maybe the question is, why do I keep doing the same things over and over and over again? Or perhaps it's in relationships and the question is, why is it that they don't love me anymore? Mike goes on to say that suffering always brings overstuffed suitcases full of questions that we lug around on our global search for understanding, but these slippery answers rarely arrive. Loss abuse, betrayal, and our frequent trips back to our destructive addictions have left us baffled, bewildered, and confused. Yet real freedom rarely found, is rarely found by spotting the stealthy why, but rather by letting our stories be captured by the plain and obvious who. Who will you trust with your pain? Who loves you with reckless abandon? Who will wipe away every tear? And who can you trade your heart of stone for a heart of flesh? Listen to this last statement. And after all our failed attempts to make sense of our hurts, this who is asking us to finally surrender the why to God. I want to unpack two components to forgiveness that I think are so important for you and for me today. And I want to do so through the lens of John chapter 8. And this is kind of a famous story in the scripture. 
There's multiple characters in this story. We have one who's done something terribly wrong and feels overwhelming shame. And then we have a crowd of accusers who have found this individual who's done something wrong. And then we have stuck in the middle, Jesus, who speaks truth to both groups of people. John chapter 8 says this in verse 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn and he appeared again to the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. And this is an important component. When Jesus sat down, that meant this was a formal time of instruction. This wasn't just a casual conversation amongst friends, just kind of hanging out by the water cooler. This is actual a formal time of teaching, very similar to the dynamics that we're sitting in today. The religious teachers, the Bible teachers would sit down and all would gather and they would begin to instruct. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. And so what's about to take place shouldn't take place. Verse 3 says this. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Jesus always had a way of doing things out of the ordinary. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? I want to pause for a moment right here, if we can, because that phrase woman where are they? In our culture, I would never walk up to a woman and say, woman, what's going that would be bad. I would have to say that and then run. If I ever said that to my wife, you would never see me. Woman, come over here. That would be bad news bears. How many, can I get an amen from some guys in here? Thank you. Okay. So when Jesus says woman, this is actually a term of honor. In fact, Jesus uses this term woman two times in the book of John and in both times, I think it's chapter 2 and 19, in both times it's in reference to his mother. So Jesus now addresses this woman with a term of honor. And I think this is a great reminder for you and me. Lean in for just a moment, and maybe this is the only thing you hear today, but it's something worthwhile. And that is this, that our sin does not make us second class. Our sin doesn't make us second class. Jesus, in the midst of this, looked at the woman and spoke to her with honor. I want to talk to you today just about two points what forgiveness means. I'd encourage you to take notes and follow along. If you'd like to text the word notes to the number on the screen or what we have, we use every time, every day, every Sunday, if we will. You can follow along and I've actually left some blanks so you can follow along and fill in the blanks. And then for those of you that are particular and hate it when you leave a blank unfilled, I've put an index in the bottom just for you. So you are welcome. And for those of you that are not moving or taking your notes, I'll just take that to mean that you hate everything that I'm saying right now. Let's continue. And no laughter. Wow, that was awkward. Let's move on. Look at this. My wife just laughed awkwardly to help you guys too. Awesome. Let's move on. Has no one condemned you? Jesus said. No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. 
Let me tell you what forgiveness means. Number one, forgiveness means that I live in the hope of today and not the hurt of yesterday. That I live in the hope of today, not the hurt of yesterday. So listen, even though this was a trap, this whole scenario that Jesus is facing, this is a trap. She had actually done something wrong. She was guilty of a sin. There was someone else in the equation in this story who was married. So there was a spouse somewhere who either just about to receive the news or had already received this devastating news. So this was a, a, a kind of a choppy scenario. And it indicates that somewhere the marriage wasn't healthy. These things don't just happen in a bubble. People were involved. And people were hurt by what she did. Have you ever had someone that you thought you could count on let you down? Ever had someone that you trusted, maybe a friend that you, you kind of bore your soul to and you trusted and spoke with them in confidence about things that you were walking through, struggling through, and, and they just began to tell other people? Have you ever had someone that you entrusted your, your care or, or maybe even your future with, but instead they hurt you? Or maybe a business partner who gained your trust only to exploit you. You ever had somebody stab you in the back? Let me just tell you, live life long enough and someone will hurt or betray you. It's part of life. The problem is when these things take place, when someone hurts or betrays, it creates pain. And if we don't do something with that pain, look at me in the eyes for just one moment, we don't do something with it, every time that comes to mind, it will be like an assault on our soul. And here's what we do. We're really good at this. We've convinced ourselves that we can manage the pain without actually forgiving the person. Depending on what it is that you've walked through in your life, we say, you know, I don't have the, the, the bandwidth. I don't have the strength. I don't even know if I have the love to forgive them. I'm just going to motor on, continue on, do what I'm doing. And if enough time and enough space is in the middle, then I'll just forget about it. But the problem is... That's not really the truth. And here's the, here's the other sad truth. You might be able to stand up here on this pulpit. I could hand you the mic and I'd say, tell your story. And you would tell of the time or the moment or the week or the month or the statement that was said that betrayed you, cut you, stabbed you in the back. And we would listen to you and we would probably agree. And we might even be angry too and say, you were wrong. But you have to know the bitterness is going to contaminate everything. The pain that we hold on to will contaminate everything. It goes far and wide and deep. And bitterness can never be contained to the source. We try to do that. It can never be contained to the source. We just think that it won't affect every relationship that we're in. And yet it just has a way like a weed of growing right up in the center of our life. It spreads into every single relationship that we have. So let me just encourage you for a moment. Sometimes you don't forgive people for their sake, but for your own freedom. Sometimes we don't forgive people for their sake, but for our own freedom. And sometimes that requires me understanding the truth that God has actually forgiven me. And that's what gives me the power to forgive others. I want to just tell you this and encourage you for a moment. You will never have to forgive someone else as much as God has forgiven you. You never will. Thank you for that golf clap. That was good. Let's try it. Come on, everybody clap for real. Oh, there it is. Woo! Feel encouraged now. Look at what Ephesians chapter 4 says. This is Paul just reiterating what Jesus was saying. He said, be kind 
and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. You probably heard the phrase that hurt people hurt people. You probably said it. Maybe somebody made fun of you and you're like trying to get them back. Well, hurt people hurt people. You must be hurt, buddy. <laughs> and it's true, right? If you grow up in a home and it's just overly critical and everything that's happening, the chances are if, if you don't deal with that pain, you're probably going to end up being overly critical with those that you love and care about. But I want to encourage you with a statement that I believe is also equally as true, and that is free people should free people. Free people should free people. Can I just talk to you for a moment? Listen, if you're here today and you say, I'm not sure what I believe. In fact, I didn't want to come today, but I'm here. Then that's great. Permission to belong before you believe. Never, ever would I require you to believe something that I say just because I say it. But if you're here today and you say, man, I've said yes to Jesus. There was a moment I prayed a prayer, I said a decision, and I just surrendered my life to him. Look at me in the eyes for a moment. If that is you today, you say, I'm a Christ follower. I believe there is a mandate on our life, a mandate on our life as Christians that we have got to help people discover the freedom that Jesus has given us. Jesus did not die that we would stay a slave to the hurts and habits and hang-ups of our life. He died so that we could experience life the free way. And I believe that it is our prerogative to experience freedom so that we can help people see this is what it feels like to be free. It's amazing how shame and guilt feels like a weight and a burden. And I just wonder how many people are in your world that just need you to live in freedom so you can help them experience it too. So the act of forgiveness, listen, it may not have the power to erase that specific hurt from your life. The act of uh, forgiveness does not have the power to erase a specific hurt in your life. When you forgive, it doesn't erase something that happened to you, but the act of forgiveness will erase the power that that hurt has over you. Listen, so many of us are living life behind this barricade that we have built in our own bitterness. That was way better than your wow. It's not even in my notes. And we're just standing behind it, wanting to experience the fullness of life, and yet we're not because we're holding on to something of yesterday. You know what forgiveness does? It actually allows your past to become what it was meant to be, your past. A few weeks ago, I shared with you that your past really isn't your past if it's still affecting your present. So if I, forgiveness, what that means is I have to live, stop living in the hurt of yesterday and start living in the hope of tomorrow. And point number two, forgiveness means that I have to embrace forgiveness for my own sin. And I thought about flipping this. Maybe we should do this one first and then work on forgiving others. But man, I just think sometimes we, we fail to forgive others because we just have such a difficult time forgiving ourselves. In fact, if I'm honest with you, this is the bigger struggle for me. It's easier for me often to forgive others, but I look at the lens of my past, I look at the lens of my life, and what I see is more mistake and regret and shame than I see triumph and success and accomplishment. And I struggle with this. I think if we can gain an, the understanding of God's forgiveness for us and embrace forgiveness of my own sin, then it actually will unlock something that 
will help us experience freedom. And it's often more, more difficult to forgive ourselves than to forgive others. In fact, if we go back to John chapter 8, we see this thing kind of play out. Jesus sits down to formally teach this crowd. And they drag in this woman on cue. It would be just like if we were to stand here today and I begin my message and Jeremy's back there playing something pretty and Matt's on the keys, eyes are closed, and you're just like, man, these guys are good. And so is Pastor Kerry, but I'm not going to tell him because it's just too awkward when I say something out loud in church or laugh at his jokes. He's wearing shorts. I don't know what to do. And somebody outside, there's a ruckus and noise and six or seven guys run in this room dragging a woman naked and throw her down at our feet and say, she committed adultery. Now what? On cue. This was planned. So we've got to read the subtext and how did they plan this? Were they just perverts staring in the windows of every individual? Or is it possible, the scripture doesn't say this, is it possible that maybe the dude that she was with who's not on the scene, just her, is one of their friends? I mean, I don't know. It doesn't say that. It's just a hashtag read the subtext. Are you tracking with me today? In this moment, she's thrown at the feet of Jesus, and for the rest of her life, she will be known as the adulteress. For the rest of her life, her title, every time she goes to the well to draw water, every time she goes to the market to buy produce for her family. Oh, remember that time. She's the one who was caught in adultery. For the rest of her life, that would be her label. Isn't it a sad truth that moral failure finds easy recall in the lives of people? Maybe even your own moral failure. A constant reminder. Every time you step through the doors of the church, a constant reminder. And what does Jesus do? Just I, I, always profound and always baffling. He just changes the narrative. And he bends down in the sand and he begins to write. And I don't know what he wrote. Maybe it was the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God and have no idols. And maybe it was this thing. I don't know. Many believers, many, many historians believe that he was writing down the, the names of, of people that the men around had been with and the sins that they had committed. I don't know what he wrote down in the sand. In fact, it's one of the questions I'm going to ask when I get to heaven. What I do know is that he was helping the accusers, helping the men who were there so angry, ready to so self-righteously throw stones. He was helping everyone to see the truth about themselves. And isn't that our biggest challenge in life? Is seeing the things that we really need to deal with. I think, again, we re reiterated this in the series over and over. If I was able to sit down with you and ask, what is the truth about you? Many of us would say the truth about myself is I don't really know the truth about me. <laughs> the truth is, here's the real truth. It's easier for us to see the problems in other people. The shortcomings, the issues that they have, the blind spots. And we can not only see them, we can point them out. And anybody else like me, we could write a book on what they need to do to fix their problems. Anyone? Yeah. We're great at this. And, and they're just sitting there ready to condemn her. Ready to throw the stone. And, and it wasn't like pebbles. These were like... To, the, the deal was to kill her. And the Bible says that one by one, 
from the oldest to the youngest, they begin to drop the rocks and walk away. And I don't know why, but it just begins to explain the fact that the older ones who are a little more experienced realize this wasn't going the way that I thought it was going to go. And they took off a little sooner. One by one, they begin to drop the rocks and they walked away. And now it's just Jesus and the woman. The only people left in the story is Jesus and the woman. And here's where the ironic twist comes in. Jesus asks her, where are your accusers? And the truth is this, that Jesus is the only one who actually is without sin. He did not know sin. He knew temptation. He knew the things that you and I struggle with. So he's the only one justified to be an accuser. And look how Jesus responds. He doesn't say, well, you know what? I'm the accuser. Let me tell you what you've done wrong. He said, neither do I condemn you. And look, some of you in this room, that's the verse you need to have memorized. Place it on the mirror above your sink, by the handle of your refrigerator, maybe tattoo it on your body as a reminder that Jesus doesn't condemn you either. Romans chapter 8, 33 has such a profound message. I apologize, I get a little emotional because I believe so many of us really struggle with this component of forgiveness and it is like this boulder in our life prohibiting us and we're pushing so hard but not going anywhere because we're not letting go of the pain of yesterday. Whether it's something that someone did to you or maybe if you're like me, it's something that you did and you just can't see past your mistake and look at what Romans 8 says this is a promise from God for you today not your neighbor not your spouse not your best friend not the person who's not here for you who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his God himself the judge who has issued the final verdict over them not guilty some of us have even a hard time reading this as a promise from God to me because there's no way, but you don't, you, maybe you didn't see, Pastor Kerry, what I walked through. And so there's no way it could be not guilty. You're right, I didn't, but God was there. He's the judge and the jury, and he says not Guilty. Verse 35 goes on to unpack that there is nothing in this world that can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Not death, not life, not past, not present. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so I don't know who you identify with in this story. Perhaps you identify with the crowd ready to throw the stones. Maybe you've walked through something so damaging, so hurtful, so malicious that the idea, the concept of even forgiveness is not even a word you want to utter out of your mouth. I don't know who you identify. Maybe you identify with the woman who's been dragged in front of people with your sin on display for all to see. Or maybe... If you're like me, you identify with both, right? Like you can see the people who have just stabbed you in the back and you also see your sin and this concept of forgiveness 
feels like a foreign language to you. Maybe somebody stabbed you so bad that you can't even see past this and you just want justice. You just want them to pay. You want to throw the rock. You want to condemn. And guess what? Here's the sad challenge and the sad truth. And I believe here is where we hide behind this boulder of, of bitterness and pain. You actually have the right to hold on to it. But look at what Jesus said. Look at the question that he poses to the men who were gathered around this woman with stones in hand. Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. So maybe if you identify with the crowd, the prompt for you today is simply to put down the stone. I don't know if it was your mom or your dad or a boss or a spouse. 30 years, 25 years, and we walk down the aisle and it's over. And I, I was faithful and he or she was not. I don't know, maybe it was a child. Maybe an aunt or an uncle, I don't know. Maybe it was a pastor or a best friend. And I think the scary part for so many of us is that we have been holding onto the stone so long that we are afraid to let it go. It's been engrafted into the very essence of who we are so much so that we don't know life without it. It's actually become the lens through which we see and make decisions in life. And that concept of letting it go is absolutely scary because it means that I will have to change. But if you don't, man, I wanna just tell you, your heart is just gonna continue to get a little colder. And bitterness is never reduced simply to the source. It will affect everything. Maybe you identify with the woman and you identify with the weight. I don't even know how that works, but sin has this ability to feel like a weight as if somebody puts on a, a vest that has 400 pounds in it and 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 the chest is it, it feels like it is at, at times you can't breathe or when you read s s the lyrics on the screen for certain songs i am yours how, how have you seen where i've come from i can't there's no way you can accept this burden and your every inclination is to run. And I think that's in the human condition because when we, we make mistakes, when we fail, we're preconditioned to run away because it's something I want to get away from as quickly as I can. And, and that's your inclination to run from Jesus. If I was the woman drugged at the feet of Jesus with accusers around me naked in all of my shame, I would have been thinking, what's the fastest exit route? How do I get the heck out of Dodge? But I want to encourage you, one of the things that we even talked about in week one of this series, that maybe the step for you, the prompt for you is simply to stop running. If you just stop running, God will run to you. You don't have to overcomplicate what that looks like. Just stop running. If you're here today and that's the weight of sin, just stop running. Here's the encouraging component is that Jesus is writing a message for you today, but it's not in the sand, it's on the cross. And it's a message for you, my friends, young and old, 
new to church or experience, his message for you is emphatically, unconditionally not guilty. And so some of us need to place our stones at the foot of the cross and our sin at the foot of the cross. What does that mean? To just lay it down and let it go. And remember the story of Jesus as he dragged in this woman carrying the shame and the sin. She was going to die. The penalty was death. And Jesus stands up for her and up to her accusers. And then he says this amazing thing with his life. He says, I'll take the penalty. Sure, the penalty is death, but you know what? I'll take that. I'll take her place. And that's the message for you and for me. Jesus wants to stand between your sin and up to your accusers and take your place. I don't want to go any further in today without pausing here. Normally we do this towards the end, but I feel like this is the moment for this. Some of you may be here today and you have never just simply said or made the decision that I just say yes to Jesus. And I'm talking, listen, right here. I'm not talking about membership to church. I'm not talking about eradicating or removing and erasing your past. I'm just saying, simply saying yes to Jesus. Some of you have never made that decision and I want to give you a chance to do that. I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat. You don't have to let anyone know. But I'm going to pray a prayer. And I believe with every ounce of my being that if you just make this prayer your own, maybe repeat it after me in the quietness of your own heart or a whisper, I believe God will shift things in your life right here, right now. And maybe you, today you can embrace forgiveness for your sins. Hey, look at me. Some of you have been running from God and today you need to stop running. And I want to challenge you, just pray that prayer with me. Can we do that today? In this holy moment, will you bow your heads and close your eyes, nobody looking around. If you're here and you've never made this decision, or men, it's been a long time and you've been running from God and today's the day to come back, I just want you to utter this prayer in the quietness of your own heart or in a whisper, just say, dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me, that you've given me purpose. God, I've made mistakes. Truth be told, I feel like that woman. I've got sin in my life. And I need someone to stand up to my accusers and say not guilty. Just make this prayer your own right where you're seated in this very holy moment. And just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.